Section 29 of English Costume. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. English Costume by Dion Clayton Calthrop. Section 29. Charles the Second. Reigned twenty-five years, 1660 to 1685. Born 1630. Married, 1662, Catherine of Portugal. THE MEN AND WOMEN England, apparently with a sigh of relief, lays aside her hair shirt, and proves that she has been wearing a silk vest under it. Ribbon-makers and wig-makers, lace-makers, tailors and shoemakers, pour out thankful offerings at the altar of fashion. One kind of folly has replaced another. It is only the same goddess in different clothes. The lamp that winked and flickered before the stern black figure in Geneva bands and prim curls is put to shame by the flare of a thousand candles shining on the painted face, the exposed bosom, the flaunting love-locks of this Carolian deity. We have burst out into periwigs, monstrous bushy, we have donned petticoat breeches ruffled like a pigeon. We have cut our coats till they are mere apologies, serving to show off our fine shirts, and we have done the like with our coat-sleeves, leaving a little cuff glittering with buttons, and above that we have cut a great slit, all to show the marvel of our linen. Those of us who still wear the long, wide breeches adorn them with heavy frills of deep lace, and sew bunches of ribbons along the seams. We tie our cravats in long, stiff bows, or knot them tight, and allow the wide lace ends to float gracefully. Our hats, broad-brimmed and stiff, are loaded with feathers, our little cloaks are barred with silk and lace and gold cord, our shoes are square-toed and high-heeled, and are tied with a long-ended bow of ribbon. Ribbon reigns triumphant, it ties our periwigs into bunches at the ends, it hangs in loops round our waists, it ties our shirt-sleeves up in several places, it twists itself round our knees. It is on our hats and heads, our necks and arms, and legs and shoes, and it peers out of the tops of our boots. Divines rave, moralists rush into print, to no purpose. The names seem to convey a sense of luxury. Dove-coloured silk brocade, Rhinegrave breeches, White lute-string seamed all over With scarlet and silver lace, Sleeves whipped with a point lace. Coat trimmed and figured With silver twist or satin ribbon, Canvas, camlet, galoon, and shamey, Vellum buttons and taffety ribbons. The cannons, those bunches of ribbons Round our knees, and the confidence, Those bunches of curls by our lady's cheeks, do not shake at the thunderings of Mr. Baxter, or other moral gentlemen who regard a maypole as a stinking idol. Mr. Hall writes on The Loathsomeness of Long Hair, Mr. Prynne on The Unloveliness of Lovelocks, and we do not care a pinch of rap. Little moustaches and tiny lip-beards grow under careful treatment, and the ladies wear a solar system in patches on their cheeks. The ladies soon escaped the bondage of the broad Puritan collars, and all these had hid was exposed. 
the sleeves left the arms bare to the elbow, and, being slit above and joined loosely by ribbons, showed the arm nearly to the shoulder. The sleeves of these dresses also followed the masculine fashion of little cuffs, and tied up linen undersleeves. The bodices came to a peak in front, and were round behind. The skirts were full, satin being favoured, and when held up showed a satin petticoat with a long train. The ladies, for a time, indulged in a peculiar loop of hair on their foreheads, called a foretop, which gave rise to another fashion, less common, called a torre, or bull's head, being an arrangement of hair on the forehead resembling the close curls of a bull. The loose curls on the forehead were called favourites. The long locks arranged to hang away from the face over the ears were called heartbreakers, and the curls close to the cheek were called confidence. Ladies wore cloaks with baggy hoods for travelling, and for the mall the same hats as men, loaded with feathers. I am going to leave the change in dress during this reign to the next chapter, in which you will read how it struck Mr. Pepys. This change separates the old world of dress from the new. It is the advent of frocked coats, the ancestor of our frock-coat. It finishes completely the series of evolutions beginning with the old tunic, running through the gown stages to the doublet of Elizabethan times, lives in the half-coat, half-doublet of Charles I, and ends in the absurd little jackets of Charles II, who, sartorially, steps from the end of the Middle Ages into the New Ages, closes the door on a wardrobe of brilliant eccentricity, and opens a cupboard containing our first frock-coat. End of section 29, read by Kara Schallenberg, in July 2010, in San Diego, California.